Welcome to Heart to Heart, a Horizon Produce podcast. My name is Christina Pearl, and today we are sitting down with Colleen Babcock, who is Horizon's Parent and Family Support Coordinator. Specifically, Colleen's role at Horizon is to work with individuals, families, and loved ones who have questions around substance use, what treatment options are available, and how to navigate the resources available in our community. Today, we are sitting down with Colleen Babcock, who's our Parent and Family Support Coordinator and has a job that not only she created, but has evolved over the course of the many years that she's been in the role and actually has set a standard for our Western New York community. Her position really created a lot of buzz and many other agencies and organizations have put in place a role very similar because of how effective and impactful it has been. I would love Colleen to introduce herself a little bit and give us some background on not only her role, but how it all came about. So, hi, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Chrissy. I really appreciate, I always appreciate the opportunity to share my story that I think is is very powerful because today it's led to a place of recovery. I know that wouldn't have happened if I would not have walked through the doors of Horizon the first time because that program not only changed my son's life, but changed my life as well. I, I think that's because they gave me the opportunity to learn and understand the challenges that what my son was facing. In, in the beginning, when I first started to deal with this, I looked at it as a choice, you know, something that my son was going to outgrow, you know, it was behavior. Right. You look and you see behavior, you don't see inside the brain. And my journey through Horizon with him side by side helped me to understand that it wasn't, that wasn't the case. It wasn't about choice. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, this is where I want to end up. Right. And I became very passionate about what I was learning and wanted to make a difference in the lives of other people in our community. So I asked Ann Constantino to give me the opportunity to create a position out in the community that would help other families understand how important it was to get involved. Absolutely. So let's go back a little bit. You obviously have such close experience with the treatment side. Mm -hmm. And if you wouldn't mind touching a little bit on what your experience was like with your son and then how that in turn allowed you to approach and with this innovative idea to help parents and families navigate. Well, you know, you have the initial time you seek help from a counselor because something has happened. You know, you catch your son with marijuana or you catch your daughter with marijuana or alcohol or, you know, whatever the case may be. Right. Our society accepts that as a rite of passage with with our youth, which 20 years ago, it wasn't as dangerous to accept that as it is today. Everything has changed today. It's not kids that have changed. It's the substances that they're introduced to, which have such a 
a higher potency that they have the ability to change the brain almost instantaneously. So when I saw behaviors with, you know, my son that were, I guess, part of youth experimentation, I thought, I thought, you know, grounding him, punishing him, all the things that a parent does was going to address that. Mm -hmm. But it, it didn't. And it advanced and it got worse and worse and worse. And we finally walked through the doors of our first outpatient, which introduced me to my son again. And when that stopped, we went back to life as normal, but it was only a few days before the behavior started again. Right. And we, we repeated that cycle for quite a few years not understanding. Nobody was talking to me. They were dealing with him, but nobody was talking to me about it. Right. And we would be in and out of, you know, treatment programs or counselors' offices trying to help him to stabilize, but none of the behaviors were changing. And before that, did you have a lot of education or even awareness on substance use and what to look for and signs and symptoms, nothing like that. Because of course your life is moving fast. You're raising your family and And you don't think it can happen to you. Of course. You know, you did. That's the bottom line. You just don't think it can happen to you. Um, But it is happening. It's happening to people over and over and over again. And the, the, what prevents us from getting education, I think, is fear, mm-hmm. fear of the unknown. We don't want to know. Um, thinking that it's their problem and not our problem. There's so many barriers that families face sure. that prevent them from getting the education they that they need. But while that is happening, the disease is progressing. Right. You know, and I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. And it was a good friend of mine that actually helped me walk through the doors of Horizon Health Services. And that program not only changed my son's life, it changed my life because it really educated me. You know, of course, when my son was in an environment, when he was receiving treatment, when he was, when there was something in between him and the substances, of course he was in a better place. Sure. But once he went back out into the real world, he only took with him from that program the tools that he needed to live a drug and alcohol-free life. And if he wasn't applying those tools, it wasn't going to happen. He was 18 years old. Wow. How do you how do you remove that, you know, from a, a child's life? Early intervention is so important because as a, a parent, it's the best time. You have more you have more control then than you will ever have again in your life. Right. Because the older that somebody gets, the more independent they become. And if they're able to function and continue with that behavior, it just allows the disease to progress. Right. We were, you know, call it blessed that my son would, he would advance very quickly in the disease. So it would get really bad really fast. And we had the ability to intervene and kind of rein him back in Mm -hmm. and impose consequences, right? whether they were consequences within the family, whether they were in a treatment program, in a treatment court. Anything that gave us the ability to slow him down was a gift because it was in those moments of clarity that things could change. Not all families are that fortunate. Right. They don't, first of all, they don't understand. So they're not 
imposing the consequences at home that they should be. And not everybody falls very fast. Right. You know, people can function academically, scholastically in employment for long periods of time while we're waiting them for them to outgrow it. But really all it's doing is grabbing a greater hold on the brain. Absolutely. So now you you deal with parents and families who are either in crisis or not. Right. But have questions or are wondering about maybe suspicious behavior or maybe some trends that they've been seeing in a loved one. Because of the education you had throughout your experience was obviously why you proposed the position that you now have. And what would you say are some of the most common questions you get from families or loved ones calling you? Because again, you're probably one of the first touch points Mm -hmm. that families go to, to start asking questions, to start maybe navigating, maybe this is something we need to look a little bit further at. Right. Um, Well, it's typically I get the phone call when, you know, there's, it's crisis. I would tell you it's always crisis. Mm -hmm. People don't call if everything's fine. It's something has happened. And I would say seven out of 10 times, parents are minimizing. They're thinking, well, it's just an isolated incident. They're just smoking marijuana or they, you know, caught them drinking, but it's only happened once or twice. Right. But when you, you talk and you discuss, there's, you know, behaviors that have come along. People aren't opening up, sharing the worst parts of their journey in your first conversation with them. Right. They're looking for help and guidance on, on what to look for. But very often, the more we talk, there are things like, you know, stealing, taking things, the behaviors aren't isolated. They're happening over and over again, right. unable to hold a job, lying, lying, all these things that, that are coming along. And Parents are afraid to invade their their children's privacy. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about young kids because mm-hmm. my focus is with the youth because I feel the sooner we can intervene, the better their chances are for long-term recovery. Mm-hmm. And if there is no consequence to that youth or that behavior, then why would they stop? They're right. They're doing these drugs and substances because they like how they make them feel. Right. Not, that's the only reason. Right. So if there's not a consequence to that, why would somebody stop? Right. And the more that that advances, the greater the hold is on the brain. So I encourage parents to impose consequences at home. Mm-hmm. You know, get them into an outpatient program. You'll find out pretty quickly how great a hold that is. Right. Because most young people that I work with are unable to abstain for any period of time. And here they are under a microscope and they they can't stop. That is a huge red flag for families. And you need to to stay connected because as a parent, we often think with our heart and our hearts can get in the way. We Mm -hmm. can be part of the problem and not part of the solution. Our love can keep, keep them sick. And I think that that comes from enabling behavior that, again, parents, family members, loved ones look at as, well, I love this person and I don't want them to be upset with me and I don't want to ruffle the feathers. So I'm going to tiptoe. And in turn, like you said, time keeps going on that 
addiction could be getting stronger. Right. The substances are more potent. You don't have control over what's going into your body. And that's scary. And, and that's a big thing because uh, the substances are so much more potent today than they have ever been before. And they're being laced. You know, right. they're being laced with things that can kill our youth. Prescription drugs are a huge problem. And and families, I don't think, understand that. They're still, which kind of blows my mind, that they're still not making the connection between prescription opioids like Lortab, Oxycontin, um, hydrocodone, and heroin. I do presentations, and still people raise their hand in the room that they don't know they're these prescription drugs are synthetic forms of heroin. But and they're very common drugs being oh, given yeah. out for a number of medical reasons. Yep. And you're seeing. Very easy to conceal in schools. Mm -hmm. Kids can get them out of medicine cabinets. And, and then you have the benzodiazepine Xanax, which has become the next big sensation with high school students. And what um, are you seeing with that? That kids are abusing Xanax. They're calling them school buses or beaners, and and parents don't understand that. Right. You there's know, a whole other vocabulary there out is. there. And there's um, social media kind of allows kids to communicate back and forth and hide that. Parents, I can't even tell you how many times parents will call me with concerns and we'll start out talking about marijuana. And then they ask me, well, what does school bus mean? And, you know, that's right. Xanax. Wow. And all of a sudden we go from, you know, innocent, they think it's innocent marijuana mm -hmm. trying to, their kids are already abusing Xanax. Right. It is so prevalent. And that's, I think, where the importance of the education and awareness comes. Exactly. And you are, in addition to working with families and loved ones and helping them navigate the treatment process and referring them to the appropriate level of care as you work closely with our clinicians, I think another amazing part of your role is the community education right? and the training and the presentations in the schools and at colleges and at businesses, because there's so many of us that don't know what we don't know. You don't know. No family member gets a manual. Right. You just don't get a book that helps you through this. And I can tell you without hesitation that 95% of the families that call me initially end up calling me back in six or eight months sure. saying, I wish I would, I would have listened um, because it does get worse. And, and this can lead to a very, very dark place. You know, kids get arrested, they get caught out on the street, they get in horrific accidents, they get jailed for hurting somebody else, they get arrested for stealing. I mean, as this disease progresses, so does the need for the drug. And they're no longer able to just stop. Mm -hmm. You know, right. it becomes so powerful that it is in the forefront of their brain every day is that survival. How do I get the drug to just get through the day? Right. And they do things that are very uncharacteristic of the child you know and love. Right. But they do it for survival. Not, right. Not because they're trying to hurt a parent or hurt somebody they care about. It has become survival. And that's that's tough. That's tough for a family member to deal with. But we have so much more ability in the early stages of the disease to be able to hold people accountable, slow them down. 
and it's as easy as imposing consequences as at home. Right. And we have so many resources here in Western New York. We do. And I think if you wouldn't mind touching on, and again, every family member that you deal with is at a different stage in the disease. Mm-hmm. So treatment and treatment options are always going to look a little different for everybody. And that's okay. So is recovery. Absolutely. What would you say, you know, from a resource standpoint, because we do have so much right in our backyard, there is hope. Oh, there's absolutely hope. I see it in my son's eyes every day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's been a long, hard journey. The first five years, you know, he was kicking and screaming. He did not want to, he did not want to stop. He wanted to get better, but he didn't want to stop. He, right. There was a part of him that he thought, he could control because I mean, let's face it, not every person that drinks becomes an alcoholic. Right. Right. It, it does have something to do with the brain, but in today's day and age, because the drugs are so much more potent and we have adolescents, I mean, we've never seen something like this before. We've never seen such a young adult population. So handcuffed to a drug. Their brains aren't even fully developed and they are experimenting with the most potent narcotics on the planet. We addiction grabs hold faster. Mm-hmm. It just it it just does. So that early intervention piece is so important for families. Ten years ago, five years ago, you could say it was tough to get into a program. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case. Right. There is help everywhere. All you have to do is pick up the phone and you will be linked with somebody who can help you navigate, you know, the path to treatment and services. I think the bigger issue is that people don't listen. Right. They they think, oh, my loved one will be different or this isn't the case for me or I don't need this or even I don't need to be involved because it's their problem. Right. Addiction is a family disease. And if the whole family isn't treated, then the chances of long-term recovery, I mean, they they diminish. And I'm I'm saying that because 10 years ago, I had blinders on trying to save my own son's life. But today I work with thousands of families and I see what works. Healthy, educated family involvement gives the loved one who struggles with the disease a better chance at long-term recovery. It may not be 100%, but you get bits and pieces. And for somebody who struggles with the disease of addiction, it's much like cancer mm-hmm. or diabetes. It's a chronic relapsing disease. Right. So any time you get with your loved one that's healthy is a gift. Yes. And if people stay connected to treatment and services, if families stay connected to healthy support, you can have those times with your family. You know, my, my son is doing well. And I thank God every day, but I, for one second, do not lose sight of the fact that this is a disease that he has and will always have. Right. And it's not if he is going to be faced with challenges, it's when. Right. He will. And that's the reality. That's the reality. But, you know, there's still that hopeful There is. Option. Because... He has learned about the disease. I have learned about the disease. We always have a plan in place. He has a healthy support system that surrounds him that understands the disease. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee in life. With anything. With anything. But I can guarantee you that we are in a position to provide him the best chance. Absolutely. Because we 
we know. And you grabbed hold of this time in your life that was confusing, terrifying, and you jumped in with your son. Yep. Educated yourself, opened yourself up to any possible resource, listened, and started to navigate it. Right. And there is a stigma about reaching out for help. And there's a lot, I think, still from families who might feel, well, we had dinner every night at six o'clock. And how could this be happening, you know, in our neighborhood and, you know, at the school we're at? But it it has nothing to do with any of that. It doesn't. And that, and that makes me very sad. And I don't, I mean, I can't say why, but the stigma never I, I never felt that stigma. I know my son did not choose addiction. Right. So I never wanted him to be ashamed of that. Mm -hmm. He had a choice. He had a choice to choose recovery, and he did. And I could see him him doing that, but it was a battle. I mean, our journey wasn't perfect. My son had plenty of ups and downs. But what was what I felt was different maybe was that once I could gain his attention and give him a choice, he did choose recovery. Mm -hmm. It That didn't prevent the relapse. It didn't prevent him from hitting bumps in the road. Right. But I was able to get him stable and give him a choice. And mm -hmm. he always chose to try recovery. Didn't always work perfectly. We had plenty of bumps in the road, but we had more, more time without drugs than we did with drugs. And I mean, he's 29 now and life has been good for several years. He's accomplished a lot. He has a great job. He's graduated from college on the dean's list. Same. But it's, I mean, tomorrow isn't promised. Right. We just keep moving forward. And I think if I can tell families anything is don't be afraid to reach out for help. Right. The only opinion you should be concerned about is yours. Sure. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I don't care what anybody else thinks about my son. I love my son unconditionally. And and God put us together for a reason. Mm -hmm. The families that I work with, the families that I see that stay engaged, they have those types of relationships with their family members. Right. But they want more than anything to help them in a healthy manner, not in a sick matter. Right. They don't want to do the things that are going to keep their loved ones sick. They want to know that they're supporting them in a healthy manner. And I think that's what's important. It's not always easy to hear that sometimes you have to set some boundaries that go totally against what you feel as a parent in your heart. Mm -hmm. But if the healthy person in the relationship doesn't change, then nothing's going to change. Sure. And, you know, Recovery is possible. Yes. The the years that I have with my child not using drugs and alcohol are priceless. Absolutely. There's nothing more valuable. Absolutely. And for family members or loved ones listening that, you know, might be hesitant to pick up the phone and call, you know, every conversation you have is confidential. Yep. And what would you say to encourage someone to reach out to you. Don't be afraid. I mean, a conversation, it, it doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. Express your fears, express what you're feeling. 
I, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to help you weigh and measure the decisions that you're making. Right. Codependency counseling is out there. You know, any, you can walk in and, and get support to help you with the decisions that you have to make the things that you are doing. There is support. I mean, there's, you have to weigh on two different areas. You are trying to help your loved one. But you also need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's support groups that will help you to support yourself. And then there's support groups that will help you to learn how to navigate support for your loved one. And that's really important. That's the group that we run. It's a once a month group. Mm -hmm. Um, You come in and you just, you know, can talk with a, a table full of people that can help you to understand the challenges that you may face and you may not face. Right. But you can build an arsenal of advice Mm -hmm. that you can use in your particular situation. Because when you know nothing, how how are you able to help your loved one? Right. You think with your heart. Sure. But when you start talking about the challenges that you're facing, and everybody's journey is different. There are many. I, I don't think any one person has had the same journey as the next person. But you you can talk things over and you can get ideas and you can learn about medically assisted treatment and you can learn about the resources that are out there, the support that's available for your loved one from very light support to very heavy support. Right. Homes, transitional homes that loved ones who have severe addiction and mental health can live in. Mm-hmm. There's just so many different resources out there, but we don't know what we don't know. Right. We don't know until you start learning. Right. And if if somebody didn't feel comfortable maybe attending a group right off the bat, are you available for a one-on-one conversation, yes. either over the phone, in person? Because I know that there are some people out there that might not 95% feel- of them, Chrissy. <laughs> yes, yes. Most people do not come to the meeting just upfront. Sure. It's, it's their journey as well. Mm-hmm. They want to talk. They want to find out what it's about. Some want to meet one-on-one personally. Sometimes it's a matter of navigating their loved one to a treatment program before they even walk into the door. Right. It's, you know, everybody's journey is different, but my phone is always on. People do respect boundaries with me as well. But crisis, again, doesn't happen nine to five. So my phone is on to, you know, help people at those moments to um, navigate them to the appropriate services in the moment. I don't know really of anybody in my journey that has had a loved one who has navigated this process without some help. Right. It's just, when are you willing to open yourself up to that help? Absolutely. And if I'm a loved one and I want help, you know, initially, and perhaps my child or, you know, my sibling isn't ready and they're struggling, I can certainly reach out, get that help, come in for an appointment to talk it out. Right. Exactly. And we're, I mean, part of what I do is help you to learn how to motivate your loved one Mm -hmm. to want help. When you're, you know, in the beginning, when you're dealing with somebody who's young, as a parent, you have a lot of power and you have the ability to make somebody do something that they really don't want to do. But you also have advanced stages of the disease where loved ones are not willing to get help at the time right. because they're so they're so deep into the thralls of addiction. Mm-hmm. There are ways to motivate them to want to change. And families don't know how to do that. Okay. But we do. 
Right. So we help you to, you know, help your loved one become motivated. And it can be challenging for families. You need to learn that's even though some of the things that you're doing are hurting your heart, you're doing them in the best interest of helping your loved one. Right. Of course. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for sitting with us today and giving us that glimpse into this additional role that you provide to our community. I think it's so important for families and loved ones, no matter what they're dealing with, to know that they can reach out and navigate what might be happening in their life, you know, explain to you what might be going on. And like you said, everybody's journey is different, but you can provide options and you're there along the way. Right. And I think it is really important to reach out. Nobody's going to know the first time that they have a discussion about this, where their loved one's journey is going to lead. It, you know, you don't go from point A to point Z in one day. It, It is a journey, but there are things that you can set in motion that are going to give you indications of what road you're headed on. Right. And staying connected is really important because, again, I will say as a parent, you have so much control when your children are younger. And if you can get involved and and keep them, be that anchor that keeps them on that straight path. Kids face challenges today that they've never faced before. Right. And I mean, Chrissy, you know, it has a a healthcare provider. We see it every day. Young people walking through this door from all walks of life. Yes. Doesn't matter where they live, how much money they have, whether they sleep on Park Avenue or Park Bench. Kids today are at risk simply because of the world that they're growing up in. Exactly. So as a parent, wouldn't you want to make that investment right up front to get involved and learn about this disease in the hopes of maybe preventing it from happening in your family. Absolutely. And we're so fortunate to have the resources that we have, the education and awareness. We keep trying to continually push out there. And your role especially is so vital in that education and awareness for families, loved ones, current patients, you know, patients obviously even touch base with you after they've been successful and are leading lives that, you know, they Mm -hmm. never had thought possible, but because of that support are now possible. So we can't thank you enough for everything you do and sitting down with us and allowing us a little glimpse of what you can provide to those that might be in need. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate you tuning in today. We hope this episode allowed you to see the resources available and how easy it is to reach out for questions and continued education for families and loved ones. If you have a family member or a loved one who you think may be struggling, please don't hesitate to reach out to Colleen Babcock at 716-907-2985. Be sure to subscribe to Heart to Heart to stay up to date on the latest resources and education around topics that matter most to our community. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay informed, engaged, and connected. Thank you for listening.